Welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave West, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I am your co-host, Noel Wood, codename Crapshoot. And I'm your tri-host, Christian, codename Legion Cub. All right, so guys, uh, before we get into the segments of the episode, I want to talk a little bit about... Our, our personal sort of current G.I. Joe collections. We've discussed where we came into G.I. Joe, which we all came in in the 80s. But as of right now, uh, you know, what what is your how, what is your involvement with G.I. Joe at the moment, whether it's collecting vintage stuff or whether we're deep <clears throat> into the classified series? Uh, and I'll kick it off just by saying I, I am in the depths of G.I. Joe mania right now. Uh, over the years and the different things that I've been interested in, I kind of dip in and out of uh, what level of intensity I have for collecting any one thing. And with the convergence of G.I. Joe-related stuff right now, this is one of my huge focuses. Uh, I am currently building a vintage collection, thanks to a good friend of mine who dumped an incredible collection into my lap. Uh, but I'm also way into the Classified series, and I've been collecting 25th anniversary stuff since that line started. So I, you know, I've always maintained GI Joe at one level level or another. But it just so happens that right now there's a lot. Christian, where are you at? What what is your sort of modern collecting? Yeah, so I am anticipating and eagerly awaiting the uh, Walmart-exclusive retro line. Um, you know, I'm still sticking with my 25th uh, anniversary figures as my go-to Joes of, of choice, although the more and more I, I see of the new classified figures, uh, there are a few there. And... Uh, you seem to keep warning me that that once I pull that trigger, it's all over. You'll be done. You, you'll you'll be wanting to just take a bath with these guys. <laughs> well, they haven't put out shipwreck yet. <laughs> <laughs> they will. I hope they will. Actually, my my son and I were talking about what the next because they're they're not necessarily doing traditional waves when they do the announcements. But we were talking about what the next sort of set of announcements might be, and we both agreed that there has to be some kind of like naval or aquatic guy in the next ones, which leaves you with the big contenders of wetsuit, torpedo, or shipwreck. And I think out of those, I feel like you, like you have to do shipwreck. It's the most recognizable. Absolutely. Yep. But here's the question. Do they do sailor shipwreck, or do they do one of those things where it's like shipwreck in some sort of scuba gear type deal? Oh, see, I was just thinking spy force shipwreck in the sweater. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's entirely possible too. What if they did something? Because they've been so clever about how they've reused parts and done different things. What if they do? He's in sort of a wetsuit type thing, but he comes with a masthead and a sailor hat head. Like, I feel like there's a way... And look, I I absolutely 100% want a more traditional shipwreck, even if it is just the sweater one. 
Um, but I feel like there's a way they can make a guy, a, a figure, who looks like he's ready for battle on land and in the sea. Because, look, ki- kids and myself love that aquatic, like, scuba gear type stuff. So if they can make something where he's in tactical gear but has flippers and, and you know, a spear gun or whatever. Well, they could do the last of the uh, the original Real American Hero uh, figures base it off of that one where he's a Navy SEAL and he's just wearing a a, a gray wetsuit. Yeah, but they, they've got to spice it up a little more than that. He's, he has so to base have... Base it on that, give, it some, give him some more tactical gear and that sort of thing. Yeah, and he has to have the sailor hat and Polly. Yes. And think of how successful Hasbro has been with the Marvel Legends where it's like, oh, by Danny Moonstar in the... X-Men school uniform, but by the way, she comes with these three heads. Well, I don't know so that I'd call create... that successful. Because well, because if anybody got their hands on that figure, they're very lucky. <laughs> but I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Right. Hasbro's so, very so if, clever. If you put him in a wetsuit, you could... You know, yes, I want a, a traditional uh, shipwreck, but you essentially could get two figures out of that one mold. Yeah, you could have torpedo and shipwreck and potentially even wetsuit so, with yeah, minimal with with minimal like changes. Cuz they I mean they've basically done wetsuit as a repaint of torpedo in the past. With with different, you know, gear. Mm. Lots of cool possibilities there. Mm-hmm. Uh Noel, what about you? What are you currently in to? Uh, so it wasn't until I bought the house I'm in about a year and a half ago now that I had the room to display G.I. Joe. I had some Transformers out and I had my Lego stuff out, but G.I. Joe was kind of a... It, because it's it's so hard to display it in such a... in a way. Um, so now that I've got more room, I was able to put that out. So I started, and it was the worst time to start because about a year and a half ago was about the time that G.I. Joe prices started skyrocketing on the secondary market. Um, but ideally, and I know this will, it's not a realistic possibility. Ideally, I'd love to complete every one of my figures and vehicles from 82 to 87. Um, cause those are the years that I was active in my childhood. So as many of those as I can get, and you know, I'll buy stuff, other stuff from the vintage line, uh, from after those years as well. But that's been my main focus. And I'm, you know, I've got a pretty, I'm pretty happy with the collection I've amassed. There's some holy grails that I have out there. Um, but as it is, I'm you know constantly kind of combing eBay and looking on Facebook groups. And if I see something that's a good deal, like oh, I just found an armadillo for twelve dollars on eBay, so might as well get that, you know, because I never had one before. Just buying here and there and just trying to fill those holes in the collection. Yeah, that's kind of the same thing I've been doing with this vintage collection. Um... My my right now my goal is to get you know as slowly as long as it takes everything that I had when I was a kid uh, and when I look at it eighty two to eighty seven just like you those were my prime years uh, and you know I'll see stuff on eBay or whatever and, oh that's really cool oh but you know what I didn't have it I'm not there yet I'm, I'm trying to be very disciplined about how I build this collection. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just got, uh, I, I was 100% positive Law & Order were in the the stuff that I got, and they were not. So I just got Law & Order, 
And for some reason, the auction I bought it from had uh, one of the Cobra Law guards just in there with Law and Order. Mm, That was it. That was the law. Bonus. Well, and that's the thing is I want to, because I'm a lunatic who has to troop build, I would like to have four of the Cobra Law guards, and I've already got one, and this was another one. He doesn't have any of his stuff, which is pretty common, but whatever. I don't care. That's a rant for a future episode, by the way, right there. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll, the Cobra we'll, Law Guard being in a three-pack. Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll make a note about how troop builders are done, <laughs> both vintage and modern. Uh, and I wanted to throw this out there before we move into the episode. If you follow Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram, we, we've got, we try to keep as current as we can with the news. Uh, we just put up as much G.I. Joe content as possible. And we recently put up our hashtag G.I. Joe Dream Team. Each of us uh, chose the nine Joes that we would put on our Dream Teams. So go to Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram and find out. Uh, some of us had, had the same picks and, and some of us had uh, quite different picks. So you, you can get a little look at the personalities of your hosts that way. Uh, and finally, I want to mention, and, and I guess this, this will be my first, I told you guys about this. Uh, this is my first public acknowledgement of this, and I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit because they haven't arrived yet. But I have completed my collection of G.I. Joe comic three-packs. Ah. Uh, if you remember in... Was it 2005, I think, is when these were coming out? 2004, 2005, right around there. It was part of the Valor vs. Venom line. Um, But they would pack three figures in with an issue of the old Marvel comic. And the figures would be decoed to look like they looked in the comic books. I bought maybe six or seven of them when they were coming out and I don't know why I didn't buy the rest but I didn't and I've had them pinned up on the wall with the 25th anniversary comic two packs for years and about a month ago I looked at them and I was like why don't I have all of these the G.I. Joe comic is my favorite version of G.I. Joe why don't I have the figures representing that comic so I started getting on eBay, because that's all we can do now, and kind of looking around, and I realized that there were there are a total of 19 of them, but the last one is, the figures are like in a different style. It's CoverGirl and like two other figures, and they're not from the Marvel comics. So I don't, I don't care about that one. I'm not saying I'll never get it, but to me it's not part of this collection. Is that the Hannibal Reborn one? Yes, yes, yes. I That's actually it. have that one. Do you really? Yep. It and you can you can verify though that those figures look very different. They're I, I they're twenty fifth style. Uh, I believe no, they're, no. no, they're not. They 20, not? They're not twenty no. fifth style, but they're like they're like Valor versus Venom style. Are they okay? Like I've got that, it up. It's 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 on the wall, but I can't see it where I'm sitting right now. They're that like sort of thicker, heavier look than the original '80s Joes. They just they don't. Ah, uh, yes, go. yes. Okay, they don't go. 
Uh, yep. So I I have now completed my collection of the eighteen Marvel Comics three packs, uh, and it feels great. Well, okay, like I said, they haven't come. The last four haven't come yet, but I managed to get uh, three of the last four I needed from one buyer on eBay, and then the fourth one was just on Amazon. It was uh, Tunnel Rat, General Flag, and one other figure. I don't remember what the other one was. And normally, when I would look for these on Amazon, they're like. $175, something absolutely absurd. But this one was well within what I was willing to spend on these guys. So I was like, eh, done, got it. So they, they're they on the way. So I will, uh, once they're here, I'm going to put together a little video for the Needless Things YouTube channel and uh, sort of go through the whole collection and, and what it is and what they did with it. So that's that's one of my big toy accomplishments of late. Nice. All right. Well, you guys, are you ready for this month's review? I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) So this month on Audible Interlude, we will be reviewing... Snake Eyes Dead Game, the new G.I. Joe comic book from IDW. Uh, This was kind of a last-minute decision. We were originally going to be talking about something else that we'll get to at a later episode, but this comic hit uh, two weeks ago, and it just seemed like something we we had to... We all agreed, right, that we kind of needed to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, How do we feel about that decision now? (laughs) Uh, so i was i was gonna write some notes down so i went through and i read the comic once and i went back and i was like i'm gonna go through it again and i'm gonna start writing notes and the first thing i wrote was this is not for me (laughs) (laughs) that's a very diplomatic way to put it i'm gonna i'm gonna side my readers on here so i can see everything uh all right so this is snake eyes dead game uh dead game published by idw uh, story and art by Rob Liefeld, script and dialogue by Chad Bowers, uh, colors by Federico Blee, and editor, apparently none, is my guess, because there's no way an editor let this comic book get printed and sent out to the public. <laughs> and for the listeners, look, this is... This isn't going to be a glowing review, and I apologize for that. We like to have fun here on Audible Interlude, but we are also not going to shine up things that don't deserve it. So if Rob Liefeld and IDW want to get really mad at us, then we'll just deal with it. Here's the thing. Working in comic stores throughout the late 80s into the mid-2000s, being there for the image boom of the 90s. People like to crap on Rob Liefeld. So I tried to go into this with a completely open mind and just kind of forget it was him, read it for what it is, and not have any prejudgment. And, man, listeners... If you've read a, a, a Rob Liefeld comic, you know what you're in for. But not even counting the art, 
just even story wise it's 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 i i'm the same way like i don't have anything against the guy i loved his comics in the 90s um i i did not go into this like oh i can't stand his art he doesn't know how to draw ankles ha 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 like i'm i don't that humor doesn't land for me because he's grown as an artist he's better than he was and like in interviews and stuff he he makes jokes about himself he created a character called pouch man i mean it's like (laughs) that's what there's things in this comic there are panels in this comic that when i look at the artwork i go is is he trolling us with snake snake i think snake eyes pockets his pouches actually start expanding as the comic goes run as it's run well and there's a roadblock image (laughs) near the end of the comic that is almost practically his infamous captain america drawing it's bad so when you say he's grown as an artist stuff like that makes me go has he or is he doing this because he's in on the joke and I I just really don't know. Well, the the inconsistency of this art is I don't suppose you guys have a copy in front of you, do you? I do. Okay. Uh, no, it's on my other computer. Okay, so the inconsistency is completely insane. Uh on page 2, we have a really cool pa- and and look, if you don't look, if you don't consider the panels to be part of the same story, there are a lot of really cool action-packed panels in this. Um, I can't really his figure drawing for as far as Snake Eyes goes. Snake Eyes pretty much always looks cool and good, uh, mostly because he doesn't have a face. Because when Liefeld has to draw faces, that's when things fall apart. <laughs> um, but like page two, cool leaping Snake Eyes pose with. A lot of weird, extraneous, apparently, like, bands with no point are the new pouches. He has three bands on each arm, three bands on each leg. On page two, it looks like there's a pouch on his right thigh. On page three, that pouch is gone. Yeah. Um, And then... When you move over to page, and look, we're not going to belabor this, but there are just a few things I wanted to point out. Uh, We move over to page 7, and you can actually look at the image right next to it on page 6 and compare. Uh, On page 7, he now has five bands on each arm, four bands on each leg, (laughs) no holster, or pouch or whatever it was on his thigh. Uh, it's insanity, you guys. I can't believe an editor looked through this art and and said, this is fine. There's no consistency whatsoever. Later on in the comic, uh, when he's fighting, and we got to talk about the plot a little bit. The comic opens with uh, the Grave Master, which is kind of a cool concept. I'm okay with there being more masters. If they're going to go the ninja road... Like, the Grave Master is not the worst thing ever, right? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, maybe I'm wrong. I, no, well, This comic well, lost me on page one, <laughs> and I tried really hard. What, just because but, Thor is in it? Well, no, right. it's not just that it's Thor. The, 
Thor's face, first of all, I, I got to that panel and I laughed. Oh, um, yeah, it's bad. Oh, it's bad. Um, but, yeah, it's I mean, it's clearly, it's very obvious. He's shoving Thor and even naming Mjolnir in there just to try to kind of get some Marvel crossover, even though, obviously, it has nothing to do with Marvel's Thor. This is just Norse mythology. Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, you see Thor. You see Thor in a lot of stuff. He's not... uh, Anybody can use him. I'm not sure that was necessarily a direct snub. Eh, I don't know. Coming from a a line that has Raven, you you look at Thor, and it's it's just a little too superhero-y for my taste of G.I. Joe. Well, the master smashes Milner too, so that's well. Here's here's my the only issue I have with the way that this art is depicting this. Like, because look, story wise, this is something straight out of the cartoon. Yes, hundred percent. So I don't really have issue with that, but the fact that Thor basically looks like Strife uh. is maybe not awesome. Uh. But what what I was going to point out later on when... So the Gravemaster, who defeated Thor or whatever happened with Thor in the battle at the beginning, I'm still not clear on that. The Gravemaster is resurrected by a group of evil Arashikage ninjas, right? That's what's happening Oh, yeah, totally Frank Miller-drawn ninjas. Yes, yes. And then we get a bandage guy who looks pretty cool and it's weird because you kind of don't realize until the fourth to last page of the comic that he's a giant like all of a sudden there's that one panel where he's wrapping snake eyes up in his bandages and you're like oh this guy's a giant he's like twice as big as snake eyes but this is after uh, a few pages prior where snake eyes has pulled two pistols out of nowhere (laughs) where did they come from the pouches (laughs) those pistols were not fitting in those pouches (laughs) so now snake eyes has magical guns that just appear which is fine because maybe it's like how megatron turns into a from a giant robot into a tiny walther uh p38 subspace yes um so apparently snake eyes now carries guns in subspace uh his sword looks completely different from panel to panel uh, it, these pages are not numbered, so if you're listening to this and trying to follow along, I apologize. But there's one panel where Snake Eyes, the hilt of his sword, which for some reason goes between from being a katana to being like a claymore. <laughs> and then the wrappings on the handle change from panel to panel. This is insanity, you guys. This is ridiculous. Um... Look, like I said, the story is pure G.I. Joe cartoon. I do not have a problem with the story. But the art is so... Did you guys see Timber's face? Uh, Oh my god, you mean Stewie (laughs) Timber? Or Rocket Raccoon Timber? Yeah, that that was my next point, was, oh boy, when we get to Timber. Or or the fact that... Joe Colton apparently has the worst case of lockjaw of any character because there's not 
a panel drawn where he's not talking through gritted teeth. teeth. Every time. He's like, so I angry. want coffee with sugar and cream. Like, what? Uh, so, all right. So we have just nonsense. A snake Eyes. Well, that's the other thing. At the beginning, it looks like Snake Eyes is on his own infiltrating this facility. And then just all of a sudden, Roadblock and Tripwire are there. Is Tripwire even in the comic after that point? I just realized. No. Yeah, he, he, dis- he disappears. He just disappears. Tripwire and then Scarlet just... takes his place later. Yes. Because Scar- Scarlet just shows up with Timber for some reason, with Rocket Timber. You guys, this is complete insane nonsense. I, I don't... I think I... what was getting to me about the first part, where it's just Snake Eyes, right up to when he is meets up with Roadblock, is all of the narration of the comic, it keeps building towards Snake Eyes is the only one that can do this. Not really ever saying what this is. It's just every time he's fighting somebody, it's Snake Eyes alone. Snake Eyes is the guy. And and I don't know. That just sort of rubs me the wrong way for a a military right, unit, right, or a special forces unit, like, like we get it. Snake Eyes is popular. Snake Eyes is is a bad a. Like, you don't have to cram it down our throats and and turn him into, you know, Wolverine dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it it's inconsistent even within the dialogue because early in the issue. It says he gave up a long time ago on having friends or connections with other people. And then towards the end of the comic, it says these things are a threat to his friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's just no. And, and uh, one last, it, it, I don't know if this is necessarily the artwork or the letterer. There is a part, and I rolled laughing at this when Roadblock asked Snake Eyes a question and they actually put a dialogue box with dot 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 implying Snake Eyes is not answering him and Roadblock's response back to him was like, yeah, me neither. Yeah, they did that a couple of times. Snake Eyes doesn't talk. Yeah, Yeah, and and they did the, the, the little ellipsis dialogue box a few times back in the Marvel run, but... I, they played it up a little bit too much here. Yeah. So <laughs> we we conclude with uh, Scarlet shows up with Timber, and they they manage to run off the Grave Master. The Grave Master says, "Next time we meet, after I've reclaimed the Sword of the Dead, which is a total, like I said, total animated series thing, uh, you will fall in line, and then we get." Uh, a double page uh, image of Scarlet with one of the 12 hairstyles she has in this one single comic. <laughs> and she's only in three panels. It's amazing. Snake Eyes, Roadblock, who looks 
like a can of tomato soup for some reason. <laughs> and then Joe Colton, who is once again speaking through his... Well, they're all speaking through completely closed mouths. Uh, I... Because we love our listeners and because we want everybody to follow the audible interlude podcast, I will be keeping up with this comic and bringing updates with each future episode since it is a monthly comic. Uh, I think there are four issues, Uh, man. I hope they're not more than four issues. Uh, Noel and Christian, I am not going to ask you guys to do the same. I am a glutton for punishment. I started this story. I feel like I need to finish the story. Um, There's a part of me, with Hasbro's big push for G.I. Joe, um, and their cross-branding being very much centered on the the, G.I. Joe classified, I am curious how much it input hasbro had like if if idw went to them and was like hey here's our story hasbro signed off on it and and if there's anything that will come later on down the road uh in these four issues that will tie into the larger classified mythos so i i'm on board but man that art well and as, as i said explicitly this is not for me and i say that because this is for somebody, and yes. I, I've said it a million times, I'm happy to see as much G.I. Joe product out there as possible getting into the hands of as many people who can get their, you know, who can see it and maybe introduce it to their, you know, to their kids or, or their friends or whatever. I hope not a lot of people introducing this to their kids and getting a, <laughs> a big mainstream artist like this to do a title is good for the brand, hopefully, even if I didn't like it, and clearly I'm not the only one that didn't like it. Um, although apparently there's a lot of positive reviews of this comic out there, so well, somebody and, does. And if you're listening to this and you think that we're wrong and we're just we're being mean and unfair, uh, please let us know. Uh, hit up at GI Joe Audible on Twitter. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to have conversations about this and. We're not the kind of people who are going to tell you you're wrong. If you loved this comic book, then you loved it, and that's the end of the story. Uh, I'm not trying to convince anybody that they should not think this is a good comic. I'm just saying that I didn't think it was. So with that, uh, you guys, we're, we're in this. We're going to follow Snake Eyes Dead Game to its, I'm sure unbelievable conclusions over the coming months and listeners since this is a rob leafield comic with the delays we'll be talking about this for probably the next two years (laughs) for years to come stick with us (laughs) hey they have tentative release dates for the next two issues i believe so uh they're, they're on target every 45 days or so Welcome to Missing in Action, where we discuss a character that deserves a figure from any era, any toy line. And uh, in general, we're going to be talking about 
why they didn't have a figure during the era they were sort of existing. Because a lot of characters got figures later on, and this time it is my pick, and my pick is Dr. Venom. And it drove me crazy when I was a kid that I didn't have a Dr. Venom figure. And you guys, part of the fun of this podcast, and I think I mentioned something along these lines in the last episode, is going back and looking at all of these things, memories are coming back to me. Uh, I actually, as I was setting up my Vintage Joes the other day, I remembered that when I was a kid, I used sci-fi and airtight as Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, they were part of the Joe team, but they were part of the Ghostbusters branch of the Joe team. And memories like that are kind of what we're, you know, it's part of the fun of doing this show. And as I was going through sort of Dr. Venom's history in Larry Hama's Real American Hero comic, uh, which is where he came from and was such an important character, I remembered that I didn't like Dr. Mindbender at first. Because it felt to me like we were getting him instead of Dr. Venom as a figure. So, before we get too much further, for the listeners or for anybody who may not know, Dr. Venom is a character from the G.I. Joe Real American Hero Marvel comic. He was introduced in issue 10, and his big sort of uh, invention was the brainwave scanner that played a major part in so many of the storylines that ran through the ongoing story of Larry Hama's uh, G.I. Joe comic. Brainwave Scanner again and again would, you know, would affect Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. It, it would, uh, it was, it was a plot device that, that Hama liked to use quite a bit. Uh, and Dr. Venom was one of the more, uh, relentlessly evil characters in the comic and he had a very interesting like his main rival oddly enough was snake eyes so what do you guys remember about dr venom uh, i agree with you uh my my memory always goes back to being terrified of him uh, because he was truly evil um, and I I keep thinking back uh, in the Marvel run when the Joe team first thought Snake Eyes was dead and um, you had Snake Eyes Quinn and Dr. Venom that had managed to survive the explosion and they were like trapped in this um this box and and Quinn and Snake Eyes are trying to figure a way out. If I rem and if I remember correctly, like Venom was prepared to just let them drown. Like I will die just so I can see you guys are dying. And like you also said, the brainwave scanner uh, became a huge part of GI Joe lore for the Marvel comics. Yes. Well into the 90s. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we don't have a toy of that is kind of kind of bothers me, too, because it was so critical to the comics. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, just Dr. Venom was just evil. I remember uh, him putting Quinn and Snake Eyes into snake armor. And he was using mind control, that like using the snake armor to control them and sending, sending them up against the Joes. And, of course, they both managed to resist it eventually. And so it comes down to Quinn who I guess we need to refer to as Quinn the Inuit. When I was a kid, I was not aware that Eskimo was an offensive term. Uh, and if you got a figure today, well, he has a figure, which will, will, at some point, Quinn will probably come up in this segment. Sure. Uh, but Quinn, who is an awesome, awesome character. Uh, so Quinn is going after Venom because this whole enmity triangle of Quinn, Snake Eyes, and Venom lasted quite some time in the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Venom killed Quinn as he was dying. Like, just because he was such a spiteful, murderous, awful person. Uh... It's just, the stories in those comics are fantastic, and Dr. Venom was such a great, you know, pure creation of Larry Hama. And he he did get a figure in 2010 as part of the G.I. Joe Collectors Club, which I never even looked at because those figures are so expensive. But I went to look the other day just to see what the price is on him now because I still to this day would like to have a Dr. Venom figure. I would prefer it be in the original Hasbro 80s style because that's the era he belongs in. But if I could get this 25th anniversary style figure, I'd love to. But my assumption is it would be incredibly expensive, but I couldn't even find one for sale online. Hmm. You were just mentioning that uh, he was a pure creation of Larry Hama, and that's that's one of the things about a lot of the characters that were in the comics, and especially on Cobra's side, early on, because there weren't a lot of face characters. It was Cobra Commander, bunch of nameless, faceless troopers, and eventually you got Destro, and you got Major Blood, and eighty three. But for the for a couple years there, Larry Hama had to invent villains. Um, that actually had a little bit of character to them. And that's where the Baroness came from. We got Scarface, and Dr. Venom was one of those big ones. And I mentioned that before about him having to create those, but um, since Dr. Venom was just a purely comic book created, Larry could do anything he wanted with him. And he was like a true mad scientist. And that I, I love that appeal to him, but he wasn't like... Like, he was methodical in everything he did. I didn't see him as being like, a crazy mad scientist. I saw him as being like a very meticulous, um, you know, brilliant man who had all these sinister ideas. Well, he always had ulterior motives, right? Always like even beyond, like he didn't just work for Cobra commander. He always was working to his own ends and, and sort of using the resources of Cobra to do his own things. It's just that Cobra's evil coincided with his own kind of, And after he met his his end in the Marvel comics, I I did like that his uh, Popper's grave box 
instead of having his name, they put on there Dr. Venom. That That is something else that, that stuck with me. Do- yeah. Not Dr. Monev. Right, right. So yeah, Dr. Venom was a, a critical character, a huge character in those G.I. Joe comics, and I really do feel like he he deserved a uh, a figure in the original line. Uh, 100%. I, almost, I almost feel like Hasbro probably was like, well, maybe we should make a figure of him, but you know what? We can never sell a guy in a lab coat. Let's just create a new guy called Dr. Mindbender, and that's where that idea came from. So they were they went com- the complete opposite with the shirtless bald right. man with a monocle instead. We, and, we can't sell a guy in a lab coat, so take those clothes off of him. <laughs> Dr. Mindbender was originally named Dr. Brainwave, too, in the comics. Oh, so, that's right. I so completely that, forgot about that. That's why I kind of tie those two characters together in addition to just like them kind of having similar roles. Yeah. Yeah, well, and Mindbender did pretty much fill the role of Dr. Venom on the cartoon until we got to, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the episode, uh, Cobra's Creatures, there's a Dr. Lucifer. Yes. <laughs> which, which in this kid's cartoon, they just straight up named somebody Dr. Lucifer, uh, and he's very, very similar to Dr. Venom. Uh, I would also like to have a Dr. Lucifer action figure, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to Beyond the 80s. Welcome to Beyond the 80s, where we talk about an aspect of G.I. Joe outside of the uh, Real American Hero toy line. And this month, since it came up on the last episode of the show, we are going to talk about Sergeant Savage. And the first thing I have to say about Sergeant Savage and the Screaming Eagles is that I misspoke last episode. Or I didn't misspeak, I was just straight up wrong. I thought that G.I. Joe Extreme came before Sergeant Savage and that Sergeant Savage was a return to the more articulated figures. Sergeant Savage came out in 1995, which was before G.I. Joe Extreme. So uh, this this was the in-between point of we're moving away from three and three-quarter inch O-ring figures uh, to something that's a little bigger and a little different. Uh, So let's talk about Sergeant Savage. Now, when I brought up Sergeant Savage as our topic for this month, uh, Christian, what was your first thought? Oh, boy. That was... But, much like you discovered, uh, my memories of Sergeant Savage are actually mixed with Gaijo Extreme. So there were there were characters that I thought were savage that actually were extreme. Same thing with the vehicles. Um, so it's been good going back and, and looking at them and, and doing a better deep dive to go, oh, wait a minute, there's, there's some stuff to actually appreciate here. Yeah, absolutely. Noel, what about you? 
Well, I uh, I do distinctly remember Sergeant Savage being directly after a real American hero um, because it was similar enough looking as far as the figure style goes. Uh, and then I also remember that Kenner was the one that was producing G.I. Joe Extreme, and that was after the acquisition. Um, so I didn't ever have that timeline messed up. I guess I just didn't realize... Um, well, first of all, Sergeant Savage was so much bigger than the regular three, because I never, I never seen one in person, really, up until recently. But I thought they were just three and three quarter inch figures. That's why I was confused. <laughs> well, why did Real American Hero end oh. in '94? When oh, they're not. <laughs> no, they're four and a half, which makes no sense because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff in this line. Yes, and if they had just kept the original articulation and figure size, you know. I think that we'd look back at these a lot more fondly than we do. Well, even if they had, like, they didn't even necessarily have to keep the O-ring, just keep them the same scale. Yeah. And and I think that there would be things to like. But just really quick to run some stuff down, uh, there are comics and there is a video that came with, there. there's an actual cartoon episode that features some of the real American hero G.I. Joe team. Uh, we'll review that another time. We're here to talk about the toy line today, which came out in 1995. Uh, it, it really seemed to be taking a lot from like Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos or Sergeant Rock. And well, they even Sar- had Joe Kubert doing the artwork for the package. Yeah. Right, which is gorgeous. Yeah. Although, I gotta wonder, looking back at this packaging, is his artwork... Maybe not very appealing to 1995 toy audience. Well, that's a whole other <sighs> can of worms. <laughs> because they, they should have gotten Rob Liefeld to do the art. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you're looking at, this is 1995. This is 50 years after World War II ended. How many kids were into World War II? Right. So, um, uh, I love the aesthetic now. Um but if I were 10 years old at the time that came out, I would have been like, why would I want to play with World War II figures? Well, well, let me just tell you, I was 19 years old, and I didn't want to play with World War II figures. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, especially right after so much of that garish neon stuff from a year before, this is the direction G.I. Joe went. Well, and I think this is an overreaction to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because my younger brother was was collecting Joes at that time, so you know I was still involved in the periphery. And when the Sergeant Savage stuff came out, I remember us discussing about how this is their attempt to get it back to being military grounded in reality versus the over science fiction route that it had turned into. But it was too far on the other scale. Yes. And it was also completely ripping off Captain America. <laughs> yeah, that well that Sar- yeah. Sergeant Savage's story is basically exactly Captain America's story, which in 1995 nobody cared about Captain America. Believe right. it or not, that movie <laughs> did not exactly take off. I'm talking about the 1990 Captain America movie. <laughs> Uh, it was not at the forefront of everybody's thoughts, let me just tell you. No, comic book movies in general were not exactly a main- mainstream thing 
uh, with the exception of like Batman '89. Yeah, that well, 1995 brought us uh, what Batman and Robin. Yeah, they were just silly at that. So point. yeah, <laughs> there there was comic books really didn't have a lot of value in the cinema at the time. Uh, so running down the statistics for this line. Uh, it sounds pretty good for a one-shot line. 16 figures, three vehicles, and then one 12-inch figure, uh, which is, uh, you know what? I will take a 12-inch figure from any G.I. Joe line until the end of time because, to me, that's a tribute to Origins of the line. Like, if if they wanted to release an exclusive 12-inch classified figure, that'd be cool. Do it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that's that's fine. I think there should always be twelve Joes in some form or another. But then when you break down what's actually in the line, you start to see uh you know, beyond the overly old school styling, beyond the size that didn't fit with anything else on the market at the time. Because they were taller than your standard Joes. They were shorter than the Toy Biz stuff that was coming out at the time. Uh, you had six versions of Sergeant Savage. Two versions of D-Day. Two versions of Dynamite. Three versions of General Blitz, the villain. And then one Arctic Stormtrooper, one Iron Anvil, and one Iron Stormtrooper. Uh that is for the first wave of figures that is absurd yeah six six of the same figure almost well essentially it's more than half of the heroes are the same character well and that's the thing that's insane to me is it's not even it's not even six repaints it's six completely different versions of this guy so they could have done other characters because they're using different tooling they're not just repaints they're different figures but in the toy industry around that time there was a wrong thinking um i call it the batman syndrome (laughs) where where you know oh kids don't want that figure they just want batman right right about 50 different versions of batman because the kid will just play with batman and and I feel like that's what they were doing here, and that totally worked against them. Because let me just tell you, Servant, Sergeant Savage is not Batman. No. <laughs> Does not that have quite not. the same level of recognition. Uh, and another thing that I think was really working against this line is it launched around the same time that Kenner relaunched Star Wars. Uh, yeah. You don't go up against Star Wars, even though in 1995 the brand had been stagnant for, you know, basically a decade. Uh, it's still Star Wars. Even in 1995, it was still Star Wars, and that, in my memory, now I don't, I don't have figures, I don't have, you know, economics on it, but in my memory, the biggest thing that happened in 1995, as far as toys go, was Star Wars came back. And you still had a lot of the, I mean, like Ninja Turtles was still around, and a few sure. of those that but were it, still selling very well by at this point. And '95 also would have been uh, Power Rangers. Yeah, Power Rangers Hyped. were big. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's a lot of stiff competition and a bunch of you know old school 
World War II looking guys just weren't going to get the job done. But once you get past uh, some of the decision making and terrible actually, marketing, actually, well, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, they're cool figures. If if these were three and three quarter inch figures, I would absolutely be looking for them right now. Yeah, I even like the way that they they have the kind of the bigger upper bodies. They look a lot like more action figurey. Yes. Um, at that point, but that doesn't bother me because it just kind of works with the aesthetic of the figures. And I mean, the the Iron Army figures are they're amazing. They could never be made now um, with those looks. I don't think. No, but I want a General Blitz in the twenty fifth style so bad now. Yeah. I mean, and and. The, the red version of him is a better M. Bison than yes, the yes. G.I. Joe M. Bison. 100%. Exactly. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of Nazi uh, overtones, obviously, with those, and I don't think that they could make those today because of that. Um, like, the Iron Stormtrooper figure is really a striking figure. There's also a lot of um, uh, um, uh, Palatoy, Action Man... Um, uh, Red Shadows vibe that I get from it too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the three vehicles are all very, very cool. Oh, the Warhawk is beautiful. Uh, yes, I, I. These are. They feel like. I don't want to say they feel like early GI Joe vehicles because they don't. They're they're a little too fantastical for that but they have sort of the design elements of that. They're not, you know, they're not straight-up World War II vehicles, but they do have more classical styling than the later G.I. Joe stuff, and I appreciate them for that. Uh, So, I gotta say, I think, like you said, Noel, if this had just been a three-and-three-quarter-inch line, I think, okay, Let's go around and say what we think are the biggest problem with this line in 1995 was. For me, because I bought a couple of these figures, because it was G.I. Joe and I wasn't going to not buy them. For me, the biggest problem was the scale. I think if they'd been three and three quarter inch scale, uh, I probably would have bought the whole line. And I think maybe it would have managed to last at least another wave because the people hanging on to the tail end of the Real American Hero line, probably would have just moved on to this. Yeah. Yeah. Because these are cool designs. They look cool. They're cool soldier dudes. They look heroic. Like you said, they've got the bigger upper bodies, but that's okay because if you look at the Real American Hero line from 1982 through 1994, those body types changed a lot. Nineteen eighty two Joes do not look like nineteen eighty four or nineteen ninety four Joes. Right. They don't even look like nineteen eighty five Joes. So you can you can accept a little bit of variance as far as that goes. Um I overall I think this is a cool line. I think it's a cool idea. I just think that they executed it poorly. And I think having six Sergeant Savage figures was was a poor decision too. Yeah. If they had two, because you do have to have two Sergeant Savages. You have to have the one that's the World War II one 
in kind of the just the olive drabs, and then you have to have the kitted out like leading the squad modern day one. You do get two of them, but you don't need the other four. Instead, you have the pilot, you have the driver, because he's he's everything. He's the leader. He's the pilot. He's the driver. Like he does it. Why does he even have D Day and Dynamite? Well, and if that's the case, like that would make more sense. I think if this is kind of throwing back the original GI Joe, where it was just like he's just really one guy. He's GI Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and if they didn't have two other hero characters, then I could buy it more if you just had six of the same guy. Yeah, that um, would have worked too. You're right. But yeah, just the fact that he's apparently a part of a team, and yet he's he's <laughs> he's just all of the members of the team. He's the percent of the team, <laughs> and the other guys are each twenty percent. But there are ten people on the team, and there's way more screaming eagles apparently somewhere that we just never got to see. I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah, there because I think they're in the comic. I think we get to see yeah. more members of the group. As a matter of fact, I think they're even at the end of the cartoon. But I haven't watched it, and I still have my VHS of it. Uh, but I haven't watched it in so long. I'm not positive. But like I said, we, we will review that on a coming we episode. We did get decoder rings, though. Which you know, if you're a kid in the '90s, I don't know if that uh, goes so well as uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> As in wanna, World War Two, yeah. Uh, oh, you know, be sure to drink your Ovaltine, like <laughs> Little Orphan Annie. I don't know if a lot of '90s kids were into that sort of thing, but it's a cool idea. I like. I love that, but I also have a little bit of nostalgia for you know World War Two lore. So, all right, Christian. Final thoughts on Sergeant Savage? Yeah, I like you said the the villains. I think are, are the coolest piece, but there's no way to update them for uh, today's world. So swing and a miss. <laughs> yeah, it, it's cool concepts, just not executed quite right. Legion Cub, and now we're going to look at Instruments of Destruction, where we talk about a vehicle, uh, both from the toy line, any uh, inclusion of it in the cartoon, or trading cards, media, all that sort of stuff. And my pick for this month, I'm going with Cobra's Buzzbore. Uh, came out in... Oh man, 1987. Um, it to me, it's a cool design with the giant buzzsaw blades going through the center of it. Um, I, this is when we started to cross over more into that uh, sci-fi fantastical realm when it came to the vehicles. But this to me looks like something that that. Cobra would have built to send out and just cause chaos and destruction. Like, I, I can see it not only tearing down rainforests, 
but just plowing through, uh, you know, small towns and uh, uh, it's nicely armored. Uh, you know, the driver is totally enclosed and, and protected. Um, so, yeah, just a, a, a cool little vehicle. Um, and that's my pick. I love that you picked the Buzzbore because I have one of the first vintage, or one of the only vintage vehicles that I've hung on to through the years is the Buzzbore. Nice. I have had it with my 25th anniversary collection from the start. I have a 25th anniversary Cobra Commander kind of like hanging out the side of it, doing sort of a what's up. <laughs> because I love this, um, the the Pogo, what is it, the Battle Pot, whatever the heck. Yeah. Um, and then the, uh, the Trouble Bubble. I love these. These are like sort of the trifecta of bizarre cobra technology to me i love that the blades actually spin around the vehicle and here's how much i love this design one of the coolest tropey bad guy vehicles is the underground tunneler with the giant drill on the front right mm-hmm. like Shredder had them and Teenage Ninja Turtles. Every 50s sci-fi villain had some sort of like big vehicle with a huge drill bit on the front and Total Recall. 20 Transformers that had that uh, as yes. an alt mode. Yes. Total <laughs> Recall. Arnold Schwarzenegger fights one. Like It's a seminal science fiction vehicle. So in the live action G.I. Joe movie, the first one, when Cobra breaks into the pit using those drill vehicles as much as i love that concept concept i was furious they weren't buzz bores <laughs> i was like why aren't they driving buzz bores and i was totally missing the fact that they were using awesome underground drill vehicles so that's how much i dig the buzz bore i just think it's great it's such a it's it's a ludicrous and awesome design and that's you know those those 86, 87 years of G.I. Joe is where we really hit the sweet spot of this is unrealistic, so cool that we're going to let it slide. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm usually, with my Joes, I'm usually such a stickler for grounded in reality. But when it comes to Cobra, there's a certain element of, of... you know, the, these people are building whatever it takes so they can get a little bit more outlandish. And this, while looking outlandish, I could see something like this being made in the real world. I don't know how practical it would be, <laughs> but... Well, um, and again, like, in my headcanon... Destro is making all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And Destro is not reined in by the practicalities of, uh, you know, what the U.S. military, their equipment, their vehicles, whatever, have to meet certain standards, have to have certain safety rules, have to have, you know, certain uh, qualifying elements. Whereas Destro just, uh, you know, Cobra Commander calls up Destro and he's like, Destro! I need to dig underground. And Destro's like, 
No problem, Cobra Commander. I will build you a giant saw blade with a cockpit in the middle. And that's it! Done deal! <laughs> Destro doesn't care if, if, like, one out of every five of these collapses under the pressure of a rotating saw blade. It doesn't matter. He's not going to get sued. He doesn't care. And you will never convince me that uh, the people who were making Star Wars Episode Two. Uh, when they came up with the wheel bike oh, that yeah, General yeah. Grievous shows up on, mm. did not see a buzz bore and take some inspiration from that. Absolutely. First thing, uh, first time I saw that, I was like, that's a buzz bore. So, did everybody have a buzz bore when they were a kid? I have never yeah. owned one. Really? Not even now you don't have one? Don't have one now. I figure it's probably one that's probably not a you know difficult one to find. And Yeah, it's one of the more reasonably shape. expensive, uh, like... It's not funny. difficult to find, but usually, like most, I guess, Joe vehicles, uh, hard to find with its missiles. Yeah, yeah. The missiles, the missiles are probably the hardest thing to complete on it. Well, but it's and, only got the two, and that's yeah. typical, though. Like so many of the vehicles, you can get for very reasonable prices even now, but you're going to have to search to get some of the bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, absolutely great vehicle, fun vehicle. Uh, it is definitely what if I didn't already have one sitting, you know, six feet away from me right now, it, it would have been high up on my list of acquisitions for rebuilding this vintage collection. Awesome. Great pick, Christian. Yes. So uh, now are, we're going to go into the Springfield Showdown segment of the show. Uh, in this segment, we're going to have two characters. Uh, each one of our panelists is going to pick a character. Uh, those they're going to they're going to plead their case on that character, and they're going to have them face off. And then the third panelist, in this case me, is going to determine who's going to win that Springfield Showdown. So take it away, Dave. All right. So my my competitor this month is going to be none other than the Dreadnought Buzzer! <laughs> Buzzer is a vicious, mindless brute. He's borderline insane. He's got a chainsaw. He's got a gas can. He's got some kind of crazy hatchet on a chain with a handle thing. He's a madman. He would be unstoppable in hand-to-hand -hand combat. All right. Buzzer right. is a formidable opponent. Is that uh, is that uh, your case for Buzzer? Well, so far, so far, we've got to let right. Christian uh, put forth his competitor. All right, Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. Formidable in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but he's got to get close to me first, which is why I went a little deeper uh, into the Cobra ranks and went with Metalhead. Oh. I have rockets on my back, rockets on my legs. I have a pistol. You are not getting anywhere near me. My mind is always racing and calculating wind speed, trajectory, distance between me and my opponent. And best of all, my rockets are voice activated. So I don't have to try and fumble with my hands 
you can come up on me, and all I have to do is look you right in the eyes and say, bang, and you are being blown to smithereens. I will posit this. Buzzer's a, a, a crazy, wild guy. He's a partier. You find him in a bar, and if you're not on his bad side, maybe you want to hang out with this guy. He's going to buddy up to you. He's going to say, hey, metal Ed, what's going on, mate? Fancy some grape soda? Come on over here. We'll hang out and party. And then when you sit down, you let down your guard, he's going to take that chainsaw and stick it right in your back and cut you in half. I don't trust anybody. All right, we've got to leave it to the judge. Oh, wow. So, uh, interesting uh, interesting choices there. Um, both uh, very strong cases. Um, I, I, I got I to gotta say, um, I did appreciate the buzzer uh, impression. That was, that was pretty <laughs> spot on. Um, I don't know if that wins you points in this or not. Probably um, not. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I will say also that uh, when you're talking about Buzzer, he, he is someone who spends a lot of time at the bar. And uh, I don't know if, uh, if, if Metalhead does that as much. He's, he's too busy tinkering and doing stuff like that to thinking about uh, to, to getting sloppy drunk with his, uh, off of grape soda, because that's all they drink is grape soda at that's the bar. That's right. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Um, I think uh, distance and range ahead... Yeah, I think I, I see think... you walk into that bar, and I just blow it up. <laughs> I, I think that uh, uh, against a lot of other opponents, Buzzer would have this, but i got to go with Metalhead this week. This and month. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Tom Savini for the win. <laughs> That's all right, because next month we will be back with another Springfield showdown between two different characters. I also forgot to mention that Metalhead has his own theme song, so that does give him the edge there. Oh, yeah, he does get a big competitive edge on that one. Wait, is Cold... Uh, Buzzer doesn't get to use Cold Slither? Uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess he shares that with others. But Metalhead uh, has one that says his name. Yeah, you're right. Fair enough. And it is time to close this show out with a segment we like to call Knowing is Half the Babble, where each of us will have time to ramble about anything that we want. And this month, Noel is going to kick us off. Oh, all right. So um, I want to sit everybody down, and we might call this a little bit of an intervention. Um. There's a lot of great Joe fans out there. I know. I know many, many uh, great fans in the in the Joe collectors community, the costuming community, and many others. And I'm sure that's the majority of them. But some of y'all need to. We need to sit down and have a little uh, little come to Jesus meeting. Um, when when these toys are selling out for in ten seconds on Target's website, I know some of you are using technology to aid in that and i understand if you you know you can game the system as best you can um going up and putting those things on ebay for 150 dollars for a 20 dollar toy i really can't blame you for it you'd think i'd want to vilify those people the most 
But I'm talking to y'all that are buying it. Stop doing that. Oh my gosh, stop, yeah. Stop encouraging this. Um, these toys are going to be available for for you. And if they're not, they're toys. They're not going to cost that much probably in six months, even if they still remain scarce. Um, what you're doing is you're propping up these people who are you know, using this uh, these nefarious means to, to make a little extra money on the side. But what you're also doing is you're driving collectors like me uh, away because it makes me realize, you know what? It's not worth it for me to fight that hard to try to get this figure. I'm going to let it go. So a lot of other people like me will look at that and say, I don't need these toys that much. It's not worth it for me. I'll just go buy something else with my money. So, yeah, uh, Joe fans, let's uh, let's let's keep cooler heads when it comes to this whole um, you know scalper mentality. Um, not just the ones who are selling the scalping items, but also the ones that are buying those scalped items. Yeah, there's a saying online: "Don't feed the trolls." Uh, and for toy collecting, I think we can add in: "Don't feed the scalpers." Exactly. Uh, all right, I am going to go next and let everybody know we mentioned it on our last installment, which was not technically an episode, uh, but of Now You Know, where we talked about all of the G.I. Joe toy news that has happened over the last month. If you go to at G.I. Joe Audible on Twitter, there is a pinned tweet about a giveaway for a G.I. Joe classified Snake Eyes figure. Go there, retweet that pinned tweet, and somebody is going to win that Snake Eyes completely free of charge. You have to be following at G.I. Joe Audible, and uh, you have to retweet that tweet. But we will be giving somebody a Snake Eyes action figure free of charge so get on there get on twitter follow us and uh we you know we tweet about news we tweet about the show obviously but uh we try to stay on top of anything that's going on in the gi joe world we're going to broadcast as best can uh so we we are the uh broadcast twitter transmitter uh so yeah go check that out free snake eyes for one of you lucky listeners and uh christian close this thing out all right, so any of our listeners that are familiar with the Comixology app or have a Kindle Fire, if you sign up for Comixology Unlimited, which is like nine-something a month, um, they have a huge selection of G.I. Joe comics that have been added. Pretty much the entire run of... A Real American Hero, including the later IDW run that continued the old Marvel series, is all on there, as well as the Devil's Do stuff, some of the more recent IDW. So for, uh, you know, less than $10 a month, uh, you can read a ton of G.I. Joe comics uh, for free. And uh, I've actually gone back and started rereading the Marvel series with issue one, and it's it's turning out to be a good time. Awesome, we guys, thank you so much for sitting down and talking about GI Joe. Uh, we have to give credit 
to Andy Samford of electricmentalmusic.com for providing the music you have heard during this episode. Please follow Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram and follow at G.I. Joe Audible on Twitter. Uh, and Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Finest? Uh, so, of course, as many of you may know, I am a member of The Finest, an international G.I. Joe costuming group. Um, we like to dress up in costumes and go to conventions and take photos, but we also do a lot of other great things like raise money for uh, fantastic charities, uh, canines for warriors, um, go check them out, uh, give them money. They pair uh, dogs uh, that are rescued from shelters uh, and pair them up with, uh, they train them, um, and they pair them up with uh, veterans who are either suffering from PTSD or service dog. Um, great, great group of people, and we vetted them, and every dime that we raise goes directly to that charity. Awesome. You guys, thank you for listening to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. Yo, Joe. Cobra. Oh, La 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 la. for listening to the needless things podcast you're the best you can find the show on itunes stitcher downcast or in the ears of a trader vix employee love you mean it Uh uh-huh